Good day, everybody. Uh, I'm Barry Parker, and I'd like to welcome you to Capital Link's Trending News podcast series. Uh, today, we're privileged to have with us Konstantin Bach, the CEO of uh, Oslo-listed MPC Containers. And it's a major container company, container shipping company focused on interregional trades. So just yesterday, uh, MPC Containers released their uh, Q1 2022 results uh, with, with earnings. And in our discussion, we're gonna uh, talk about the sector fundamentals and the outlook, uh, as well as on MPC's performance and strategy. So I'm gonna welcome Constantine and uh, we're gonna just start the discussion in a minute. Uh, welcome aboard. Great, thanks Barry, thanks for having me. Thanks to you yeah. and the, the LinkedIn. Ah, delighted, delighted to have you. Uh, let's talk about, uh, you know, containers have certainly been uh, one of the sectors that's been, it's been, been in the news. So just let's uh, just kick it off. Talk about uh, the current state of the container market and uh, the outlook uh, for your sector, the drivers and, and uh, geopolitical factors. And I'd just like to, for the viewers, I think most of the viewers would know this, the you know, some of the very, very large container ships, 20,000 boxes, uh, those are the ones, there are a lot of pictures of that. That's not what we're talking about. The interregional uh, segment, the ships are more like uh, 2,000, 3,000 uh, boxes. So uh, it may be a different set of fundamentals than, uh, than, than, than folks might hear in uh, some of the other news. So go, go ahead, Constantine. Sure. Uh, um... Obviously, you know, if we look at the current state of the container market in general, macroeconomic uncertainties have, have clearly increased in general um, significantly over the past couple of weeks, be it the Russia-Ukraine conflict, the zero COVID uh, policy in China, inflation, reduced growth outlook, etc. So despite all this, the container vessel market has remained fairly tight. Um, those macro uncertainties have been caused by, you know, or have basically caused a bit of a wait and see position when it comes to uh, the charter market. Uh, time charter rates have, have softened a bit um, over the last weeks. However, they are still at historically elevated levels uh, due to the ongoing congestion, for example, supply chain disruptions and also still solid uh, demand. Um, and what we have also seen, and I think that's very interesting, a structural shift um, that the charter market has experienced within the past year towards more of a forward fixing. That means you do not only fix your charter out your vessel that comes over in the next 10, 20, 30 days, but you're actually able to secure a long-term charter for a vessel that is not open until Q4 or Q1 next year. And that is a very decisive and interesting shift because that uh, takes a lot of capacity out of the market and basically has translated into a very reduced and low vessel availability going forward. One example, usually in the last three years, you had like 1,500 vessels being available to the charter market. Um, and this year, um, we only entered this year with only 400 to 450 vessels being available. And most of them are now chartered out on long-term charters. So for the remainder of the year, we only see 200, 250 vessels available to the charter market, which is unique and which in my view will you know, be a very decisive factor when looking at the market uh, going forward. Um, yeah, that's that's basically where we are in the very, let's say, short-term view and current uh, dynamics of the uh, container market. So what you're 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 describing that's uh, 
is that across the board for the different ship sizes or uh, is it particular to uh, to your sizes, which are the, 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 the smaller size vessels? It is relevant for the overall market, but I think it's very unique and, uh, and unheard of in the smaller sizes because the, between 2008 and 2020, we have seen more short-term charters and hence vessels were readily available. And this, this number of 1500 vessels were available to the charter market each year again and again. Uh, so that made planning for owners like us a bit more difficult, but it made, you know, flexibility for liner operators a bit easier. And now we have moved into a situation where in particular for the smaller sizes, this is a, a, a shift in trend. Um, and that in my, in my view will translate into more sustainable charter market for the years ahead. Yeah, longer, lo long, longer charters. Uh, let's talk about, well, yesterday you released the results. Uh, just if you can just mention some of the highlights uh, and achievements of, uh, of, of the Q1. Sure. I mean, first of all, we are, we are pleased to have reported another strong quarter for MPC container ships. We have been able to sustainably grow our earnings and profits, uh, which is good. And for Q1 2022, we, we had revenues of around 140 million, EBITDA of around 135 million, and net profit of nearly 120 million. So, so this is an outstanding quarterly result, and we are very happy to report that. And on the back of that, we have been able to announce an increase in our recurring quarterly dividends by 18% uh, compared to the previous quarter, which was already a good quarter. So in total, the dividend declared uh, yesterday is uh, roughly 70 million US dollars um, or $16 cent per share. Um, and that also includes a so-called event-driven distribution, which is linked to a vessel sale that we have conducted. So we have a very clear um, policy on our distributions. I'm sure we'll touch on that later on. And I think the interesting part is year to date with MPCC, we have declared 270 million of dividends of which 200 million have already been paid out and 70 million are lined up to be paid out very shortly. So that is a very sizable, a quarter of a billion in dividend in the first three months, basically very sizable distribution. And we look forward to more distributions in the quarters ahead on the back of, and I think that is probably worth noting for our first quarter, uh, revenue backlog of roughly 1.7 billion and an EBITDA backlog of around 1.4 billion, which enables us to kind of uh, uh, cater for a sustainable uh, dividend down the road. Um, and that is very interesting. And, and lastly, uh, but certainly not least from an operational standpoint, if we look at the first quarter, we have been able to extend 23 new charters um, uh, for, let's say, long-term periods, partly ahead of the expiry, as I said earlier, that is the general shift that we've seen. In particular, um, for example, charters that only expire in Q1 next year, and we have been able to contract new charters of, of up to four years for these vessels, um, enhancing our backlog. And very interestingly, we have also taken out our first new building orders in the first quarter in a transaction which I would argue is, is fairly unique. Uh, we have contracted two 5,500 TU container vessels that are ready to be converted to run on green methanol um, once that fuel is available and for the time being can run on conventional uh, fuel. And those vessels we have contracted simultaneously with a charter and the charter basically de-risks the whole project over the first initial period of the charter, which is unique to order a new build that you can already de-risk over the first 
uh, seven years of uh, operation. So something that we think is a very attractive and accretive transaction to build upon going forward. Well, it, it sounds like the uh, with with the charters, with the length of the charters, uh, is is that something that you you see that's going to be a remaining characteristic of of, of your market for 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 some time? Because that that strikes me like it's a a, a real shift from uh, you know what you said used to be month to month charters, and now 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 you're talking in terms of years. Is that is, is that something that's going to remain in 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 the market even? when the word supply chain gets out of the news every day? Uh, or, or is it something uh, you, you think might, might work back to shorter term in the years ahead? Well, I personally think that due, due to the fact, uh, what I said earlier, that there is fewer charter vessels on an annual basis available, that that will lead to a more sustainable charter market in terms of rates and periods. I'm <laughs> sure we will see a bit of a softening um, uh, down the road, um, but I mean, we are at historical heights. I mean, we have, you know, we have a situation where you can lock in three-year charters at 40,000, 50,000, four vessels of our size. That is uh, very sizable and secures a very strong EBITDA and revenue backlog. So I would assume that we go back to slightly um, shorter periods and slightly uh, lower rates, but not significantly. And I think that is uh, worth noting that, you know, we are, we are now at a historical high but I believe that all the market parameters suggest that we will not go down uh, to uh, the very short charters um, uh, anytime soon, in particular because the disruption is not over yet, right? I mean, we, we know that, you know, China is in lockdown as we speak. Um, Port of Shanghai has, has you know, handled 25% less containers in the month of April. Uh, so there's a lot of backlog. And once this backlog is resolved out of China, then you know it will be relocated to the US, for example, um, or to Europe, where the boxes have to be cleared. Yeah. And I certainly expect that there will be more congestions um, and and more disrupted supply chains once the uh, once China is open, which will also fuel more demand for vessels. Actually. Yep. Yeah. There's a a, a lag, I guess, of a month, and uh, then the, the the congestion will will move from the uh, loading port to the discharge port. So. That's uh, some, something on tap, uh, likely pretty soon. Uh, yeah, we'll get on fleet fleet renewal. You mentioned uh, the, the the deal that you uh, you did. You have some new new vessels coming on uh, with with the charters with their longer term charters. Is that going to be? Uh, and again, I I contrast that with uh, let's say buy, buying vessels in the sale and purchase. Uh, market is that going to be uh, a real ongoing shift in in uh, the MPC strategy, or is that uh, some something opportunistic that uh, was a good deal that you you took? I wonder if you could uh, give us your thoughts on 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 that on the on the fleet renewal, how it might work. Sure. Uh, I, let me start with the with the with the principle that we have. I mean, as 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 a ship owner. It's all about market timing, entry price or, or any other ways to mitigate residual value risk, um, either via charter or via a low entry price. Um, so this is how we built the company and this is how we will continue to, to operate. Um, in general, um, I, I firmly believe that there are times to deploy capital and be a bit more aggressive. And then there are times to be a bit more patient, but not inactive and not leaning back, but uh, a bit more patient. And, um, we, we continuously developed our portfolio 
since uh, the significant expansion in 2017-18 when we bought most of the ships at very attractive prices. Um, and since then we have selectively optimized the portfolio. We have uh, divested vessels, we have uh, acquired vessels by, by way of M&A, for example, by using our currency. So this is an ongoing process as far as fleet renewal and portfolio composition is concerned. Now, when looking at, at your, your specific questions going forward, I mean, we will definitely continue to look at new deals. We believe now, and that's also documented in our dividend policy, now is the time in terms of capital allocation to also return capital to investors and without you know, distributing everything and, and not being able to make use of opportunities as they arise, but be very selective on growth opportunities. It's a lot of uncertainty out there. It's uncertainty about the right propulsion going forward. It's macro uncertainty. So I think one should be you know, very aware of these um, risks, but at the same time, this also constitutes a lot of opportunities. So we clearly see that there are more transactions to be done. We believe at the moment one should be more selective uh, because simply prices have increased. And whilst you can obviously charter out the vessels, we believe that um, uh, one, one should be selective in taking growth measures. What we do, we further delever the structure to be able to transact whenever we want. We have an industry low leverage and a very flexible balance sheet with more than 30 vessels being unencumbered. So we can act any time, uh, but we also want to maintain a, a, our commitment to um, returning capital to investors, as we've done the last quarters, and to continue to deliver and make use of also some of the free cash flow capacity that we have to carry out investments, for example, um, uh, on the new building side, but only in a similar or not dissimilar risk profile compared to the vessels that we have ordered. So we will be very selective but I'm sure there will be opportunities to renew the fleet. Okay, uh, you mentioned before, uh, you have, uh, I, I think you called it a special dividend, which, uh, which will be paid out when particular transactions uh, happen or certain events happen. I wonder if you can uh, just go into a little more detail on that and uh, give, give some examples if, uh, if, if, if you could, of how that would uh, work. Sure. I mean, we, we have um, implemented a, a, a two-pillar um, distribution policy. One is uh, based on a, uh, let's say, quarterly um, distribution, 75% of adjusted net profit, adjusted for, for example, vessel sales, because that, uh, I'll get to that in a minute, is subject to an um, event-driven distribution. So we, we normalize it for, for special events, um, and, but we pay out 75% of our net profit, which is um, for the first quarter is roughly 57 million US dollars. Um, that's the dividend on the recurring part. Then the second pillar is an event-driven distribution and that we have catered for um, in, in case, and we have done that twice already um, uh, this year, in case we, we sell vessels and we get sales proceeds and we then uh, distribute up to 100% of those sales proceeds um, by way of an extraordinary dividend um, uh, to shareholders. Um, and uh, that's, that's where the difference in those two schemes uh, comes about. In, in, in 2022, we have so far paid out roughly 150 already in, in event-driven distributions. Another 15 is to, be, to come in the next few weeks. And we have around um, 105 to 110 million in recurring distribution paid out. So a very sizable amount. 
uh, and that is uh, the strategy going forward to pay out significant part of our uh, cash flows or use it potentially for share buybacks um, but certainly return it to shareholders and um, uh, and that is how we will go about it uh, going forward again that goes back to what I said earlier in terms of you know capital allocation and now it's time to also return capital investors we will not distribute everything we will stay flexible we will stay agile and we will be able to make use of opportunities given our balance sheet structure and our industry low leverage okay on on the buybacks i guess if you're uh, I, I guess you have certain targets if the if, if the shares would uh, would would dip a little bit uh, that that's how you'd uh, decide to implement those buybacks Yes, I mean, that would be um, opportunistic. I mean, at the moment, we, we first of all wanted to implement a very clean and clear uh, dividend. And, you know, we have done that uh, over the last two quarters. We will continue to pay a, a dividend. But uh, to add uh, share buyback, as we've done in the past, by the way, uh, is certainly a, a measure that, that we would not rule out. Okay. Let me, uh, I'm, I'm going to shift the topic uh, a, a little bit to uh, ESG uh environment uh social and uh, governance and that's been very important and i uh i, I did take a look at uh, you, you you published an esg report uh not not too long ago uh it's just very you know very very comprehensive and the uh you know i think my reaction to it I, certain companies uh we're, we're kind of in a state of flux on on how people report things uh and I know for for some companies there's there's going to be new 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 rules coming around, but I I have to I, I have to compliment you on uh, the excellent and uh, wide ranging ESG report uh, that that you put out, and I'd I'd, I'd encourage uh, the listeners uh, to get an opportunity to uh, to to take a read of that. But I wonder if you could talk, Constantine, about some of the the major uh, ESG initiatives that uh that that uh, you have going on sure and it's it's obviously a a uh, i would say session uh, filling uh, topic uh, but i'm happy to give a, a <laughs> bit of a, a bit of a sneak preview and i i really suggest that everyone reads through our report because it sketches out the the, the various details and initiatives obviously um it is our it is our second esg report actually our third esg report already um, that we have uh, published in March 2022. Um, we have implemented our ESG policies for us and our business partners, um, covering environmental, uh, meaning clearly sustainable, uh, sustainability aspect that we also factor in into our economic and, and investment decisions. We, we look at sustainable procurement measures, uh, so look through our procurement activities, um, obviously reducing our footprint. We have very, you know, as an example, we have initiatives with some of our uh, good customers uh, from the liner industry. We have, for example, invested in, in different new painting systems to reduce emissions. Um, so there are various initiatives that we carry out. Um, we have a very clear ship recycling policy uh, to carry out everything, um, not just in accordance with applicable laws, but to, to be very well aware of, you know, human health and, and safety uh, matters. On the social side, um, obviously a lot of that is related to our crews, a, a very relevant topic uh, today and over the last two years. And we operate um, with, with health and safety of, of our crew and, and, and our employees being the, the highest priority. 
um, um, especially in these times, right? I mean, you you, you see uh, the the let's say disastrous development in in the Ukraine. Uh, we have actually set up with our crew manager a, a rescue fund to to financially also support uh, crews on um, on the ground. So there are various initiatives that we uh, that we pursue in in that respect. And then obviously on the governance side, we are a member of the anti-corruption uh, network in shipping. Um, and we, we also acknowledge the, the impact we have on our business partners as well as also indirectly on our and their subcontractors um, uh, and, and we'll, we'll certainly stick to, to the human rights uh, uh, conventions, etc. So there are a lot of things that we, we are doing during COVID vaccination, COVID testing of our crews. I mean, there has been a lot um, that we have been doing and there's more to come. And uh, I just can repeat what you said, encourage everyone to look at the ESG report, which gives even more insights um, on on what we are doing. Yeah, no, it was very, very, very impressive. I, you know, I, I read it, and uh, you know, what what struck me with, uh, you know, some companies that are re reporting, it tends to be the e, the, the e part, um, but they in in yours, it, it it goes quite a bit into the uh, to to the S and G. Do you do you find that some of your customers are uh, are starting to pay attention to that. Uh, it, it may be early days on that, but uh, is that something you're hearing about from your customers? In terms of ESG, you mean? Yeah. Uh, oh, absolutely. absolutely. And it's, uh, I mean, it's it's not just our our customers. It's obviously the in, in the end the consumer, the end user. Everyone is 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 aware of that. Uh, you know, the world needs decarbonization. For example, that's the obviously the E is the most let's say, prominently quoted um, uh, letter of the ESG. I think S and S and G are also very important, obviously, but the E is, is something that we that we see more and more coming um, uh, to also the surface in terms of end users, uh, consumers requiring a very clear stance on that. So, so that clearly is something that we spend some time on. I mean, our new builds um, actually show that you can combine a, a let's say, reduction of the uh, let's say environmental footprint with a good investment and that is things that we continue to look at um, and that is also what um, i think will drive the energy transition also for the maritime industry and should and we are more than happy to take part and take our uh, share in it yeah no it's exciting it's exciting times for sure uh let's switch the topic uh again just talk about uh the the trading venue uh, for the shares, uh, you're listed in, uh, in the Oslo market, uh, which is a, a, a well-known market. Uh, I'm not uh, familiar with, uh, you know, the liquidity there, and I guess the, you know, from my accent and my background, I'm 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 in New York, so my, you know, my obvious question is, uh, would would you uh, consider? Uh, switching over to uh, to the New York Exchange or one 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 of the markets over here. Oh, and we, we have looked at it. Obviously, you know the uh, the the a listing in the U.S. has a lot of benefits. Um, we we, however, you know, started in in Norway, and we think, I mean, that the Norwegian market in terms of IPOs in the maritime sector um, over the last decades is, is 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 the more prominent one than than New York. Not not by virtue of size, but number of um, of listings uh, in any event. It is very easy to transact. 
Um, and it's a, it's a global spot. It's the second largest in terms of market cap um, shipping or maritime uh, hub from a capital market standpoint. So share liquidity in Oslo is, is good. Um, I mean, we are part of the OBX index, which is the 30 most liquid names in Norway. So you have named big names like Equinor and others. So our liquidity is actually fairly good. Um, also, if you compare our liquidity with, uh, let's say, US container peers, uh, we don't have to hide. I think we, 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 we actually have better liquidity than most of the US names uh, in a way. Um, so it's, it's not necessarily, having said that, the US is obviously a very attractive exchange and, and, and we, a listing in the US is always a possibility, but it is not um, an immediate priority for us. But we have looked at it in the past and uh, we, we definitely consider it. We, we actually have quite a number of US investors also um, in MPCC, so it's not that we don't have any US investors because we, we are in, in Norway. Um, we have quite some interaction with the US investor market, but uh, can always be more. Um, and the US listing is something to consider, but certainly um, uh, also uh, bringing US investors to invest into an Oslo listed company is what we uh, expect going forward even more. Well, it sounds like uh, you have a pretty good formula. So maybe, uh, you know, as we say here, why, why mess with something that's, that's working very well? All right, I guess we're, we're kind of running out of time. So let's, I'm gonna let you uh, just sum up uh, the investment uh, thesis, just the, the, the highlights of, uh, you know, the major investment highlights and uh, what should an investor take into consideration? Sure, um, Barry. And I mean, we, we are a very focused container company. We have a focus on the intra-regional segment. Uh, I think this is the segment that over the last decade has grown the most. People are obviously more looking at uh, the big sizes because that's that's where the news sometimes focuses on. But they, I mean, the intra-regional market is the is by virtue of number of vessels by far the largest uh, segment in container shipping, actually. Um, so we have a very dedicated focus. Uh, not a lot of people have that uh, on that segment. We have a significant EBITDA backlog. Um, so very visible, tangible uh, dividend streams for investors and uh, for our very own uh, matters. Uh, we have the, the lowest leveraged uh, balance sheet uh, among our peers, um, uh, more than 30 vessels unencumbered, high flexibility and ability to act and uh, also proven execution capabilities, which I think is very important. If the cycle is there, if the opportunity is there, you need to go out and take it. But at the same time, as I said, um, you should be patient at some point in time and not rush into it um, and develop these opportunities. So I think in, in some, we are um, a, a very attractive partner for investors to partner with. We have a clear capital allocation policy, proven capital allocation policy. We haven't done any crazy stuff. We walk the talk on dividends, we walk the talk on capital allocation, and we have a very good industry network. So overall, I think that uh, is a few differentiating factors uh, compared to, to others. And we obviously look forward to, um, uh, to developing the company further. Well, it's a great story. So Konstantin uh, Bach, I want to... Uh... From MPC Container Ships, I want to uh, I want to thank you for coming on. Uh, great to talk to you, and it's uh, it's a great story. So that's uh, going to conclude our our episode. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you, Barry. Thanks for having me. Take care. Have a bye bye. Day. Bye bye.